Picture this, a benefit plan designed for casual and part-time hospital employees and retirees in Ontario who aren't covered by their hospital's group health plan. Introducing Healthcare Providers Group Insurance Plan, a friendly partner dedicated to your health and well-being. With affordable plan premiums and an exceptional support team, Healthcare Providers is dedicated to helping you every step of the way. And enrolling is easy, and you'll have access to a wide range of health and basic dental benefits from day one. Already have coverage through your spouse? Healthcare Providers still has your back. For less than $32 a month, the signature package, which includes life, long-term disability, accidental death, disease and dismemberment, provides valuable income protection and peace of mind for the unexpected. Take charge of your health and financial security today. Visit healthcareproviders.ca to learn more. Hello, is this thing on? Of course it is. They can definitely hear us. Yeah, we're in our fourth season. There's no silencing us now. Welcome to the Gritty Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion on health and healthcare. My name is Amy Archibald Burley. And I'm Sarah Fung, and we are your podcast hosts. Please make sure that you subscribe to our new YouTube channel where you can watch our podcast in video format. Please hit the subscribe button. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or any other podcast platform, leave us a rating and review. Hi, everyone. We're so well excited to have the guest that we have for this week. I mean, this is actually such an important conversation that we're having, not just in Ontario, not just in Canada, but this is a global conversation that we need to have. And mm. I'm so excited for the guest that we have today because she is a trailblazer. You might have seen her on a Hershey's bar, but she's been doing so much more work from a global and national perspective. But without further ado, Sarah, can you please introduce our guest for today? I'm so, so, so excited to have Faye Johnstone on today. Faye is the executive director of Wisdom to Action, a 2S LGBTQIA plus owned and operated consulting firm and president of the Society of Queer Momentum, a 2S LGBTQIA plus advocacy nonprofit. She is a leading voice on 2S LGBTQIA plus issues in Canada, a prominent advocate for queer and trans rights, a recurring voice in Canadian news on 2S LGBTQIA plus issues. And over the past 10 years, she has trained thousands of people and hundreds of workplaces on 2S LGBTQIA plus inclusion. She's also on a chocolate bar. Yes. <laughs> and I have to say, you're the first person we've interviewed who has been on a chocolate bar. That is so awesome. Um, so welcome, Faye. We're so glad to have you today. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity to be on with y'all. I am honored and hyped and just thrilled to be here for this conversation. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. And I feel like we just barely scratched the surface on you, that right. little bio that I just read. So maybe you can tell us and our listeners a little bit more about yourself. Absolutely. Uh, so my name is Faye Johnstone. I use she and they pronouns. I am a 28-year-old trans woman joining today from unceded, unsurrendered Algonquin, Anishinaabe territory, colonially known as Ottawa. Uh, I'm a military brat, so I grew up all across this country in small towns uh, and have lived in Ottawa for about 15 years now. 
Uh, and in my work, I do queer and trans advocacy. I try to help build bridges across different causes and social justice movements uh, and challenge governments and institutions to do better by, for, and with queer and trans communities. That's so amazing. I think that's actually some of the work that we want to do. I think it's so important to challenge our institutions to make sure that they're doing the right thing. And that's kind of that holding them accountable for the work that they set out to do because they're supposed to be doing the work of the people, not just the work of themselves. So again, I think we think the world of you and we're so excited to have this conversation with you today. Could you tell us a little bit about um, how you got involved into advocacy and a little bit about your nonprofit? Absolutely. Uh, so I came into advocacy as a very keen 17-year-old and started volunteering with a national queer organization. Uh, and so over the past 10 years, I've had the, the pleasure and honor of connecting with queer and trans advocates and community members all across this country, from you know, Quadrangle, a small and feisty queer organization in Newfoundland, um, all the way to Fernie, BC, and their tiny community pride networks that are uh, the rural gays that could. Um, but most of the time, my role is to be the gay gal that gets a phone call when something hateful happens and the straight journalist needs somebody to chat with. Uh, and so I'm in this like fun, informal role as uh, one of few trans people who is uh, in the public fight around queer and trans rights. And so I do a lot of opinion writing, uh, a lot of trying to gently prod governments to care more about our communities. Um, but for a lot of the, this time, I've been doing it in, in a business context, uh, which has been really cool for us because we as business can be candid and blunt in a way uh, that's harder for organizations that receive significant government money. Uh, but as we see this staggering rise in hate, and as we see governments that are, you know, saying all the right things, but maybe not following through on their commitments to queer and trans communities, uh, my business's co-owners and I recognized that we needed a new vehicle, uh, something that could challenge rising hate and pressure governments to act on our community's needs and priorities. And that's where the idea of the Society of Queer Momentum uh, came from this idea that uh, our history, our movement has a history of radical organizing and people power challenging how our society thinks about gender and sexuality. And now our hope is uh, to be one, a player in this national space as we meet this rising hate head on and accelerate social and gender justice for queer and trans people from coast to coast. Wow, that's so powerful. And I think it's so important that we have your voice and we have that perspective and we we hear from your communities to talk about these things because at the end of the day, you know, there's there's many times where it's not our voices that are heard, right? We hear the voices of those who traditionally have been in power. And I think this is where it's important that we not just involve these our, our separate voices and our voices from our different communities, but that our voices are heard and that things are actually being done with the the opinions and the the ways that we've been treated historically and I think that's where change comes from having these really powerful and courageous conversations absolutely and I had heard that there was a Hershey's boycott as a response to you Ridiculous. being on the chocolate bar which I'm so sorry you had to go through I'm glad that people are talking about it though and I think us healthcare providers Amy and myself really want to do everything we can to help support your cause 
Um, I also think that we play a role in protecting and ensuring trans folks and um, others in the community really get the health care they need. And so I'm just wondering, how has your healthcare experience been and how can we make it better in the healthcare sector? Absolutely. I, I love that. You know, I often say when I work with social workers, nurses, or health providers, um, that there's a, a long and complicated history of trans and queer communities and our interactions with healthcare. And that's true for like every marginalized community that's been pathologized, demonized, and stigmatized and neglected. Um, but it is something I think a lot of us can easily forget about. We imagine that because you know we have marriage equality now, we have some rights protections, that that history is in our distant past Whereas I see queer and trans people still walking into healthcare spaces that haven't really thought about our experiences, about our identities, and about our needs. And so for me, I've been blessed. You know, I am surrounded by uh, phenomenal health providers in my context who've always been there for me and supported me. Uh, but almost every day, I hear stories of trans and queer people interacting with healthcare and not always having those positive experiences. A lot of the time, it's like the small things of, you know, the little paper cuts of a, uh, a physician who's messing up your name every couple of sentences or using the wrong pronouns. Um, but often it's, it's something more of a, of a stigma or, or a, a hesitancy around gender and sexual diversity. Partly that's a, like a, somebody trying their best and terrified that they're going to make a mistake. And so they, they walk with that anxiety. Um, but other times it's, it is more shame and discrimination. It's folks who imagine that like queer and trans people have some weird lifestyle and making assumptions about our bodies, our, our lives, and, and what we actually need from our healthcare professionals, which really isn't that different from ev everybody else. We need good healthcare, we need person-centered care, and we need our doctors and health providers to meet us where we're at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's so hugely important. I think just we as nurses, I think that's, that's a huge message that we need to share to other folks. Cause you're right. You know, there, there is that, that subset of folks that are just fearful of making a mistake. I I've been there too, where, you know, I'm working quality improvement in the ED and I'm like, okay, I need to make sure that I, I, I do say this right. And, you know, knowing that if I make a mistake, also having the grace of the, the other person to say, you know, it's okay, it's fine. Right. You, you know, you're, we know mm -hmm. that we're, you're trying, but I think it's also important to get that other piece of that other other group that you've mentioned as well that you know um maybe there's a misunderstanding maybe th that they're being ignorant let's just say that and also mm -hmm. that you know even worse so that they're just being outright defiant um knowing that there is gender fluidity like i don't think this is something that is a surprise or should come as a shock based on you know histor based on history like this shouldn't be something that's so surprising but i think again we do have a lot of work within our own healthcare walls within our own biases and misconceptions that at the end of the day you said something so critical we just need to treat people like people and i think that's so that's such a huge takeaway it's such a small thing but it is a huge huge takeaway that i think that we need to also recognize mm -hmm, absolutely and just you know even really basic things like when you're coming into healthcare and people are taking down your information you know it's like the male are you male or female it's like actually there is a whole range of answers that are appropriate in this situation and just educating people on that right i think just really basic things um using the right pronouns i i think that saying someone's name properly and using the right pronouns is something easy that we can all work on you know yeah and, and even not, just asking right yeah one of the biggest things I recommend is like, 
uh, I think we do get stuck in our heads. And, and this is part of what worries me about like the, the social and political environment. Like there is this whole idea of like the radical trans people who are hard to work with. And that creates an environment where folks feel like they have to walk on eggshells. And so we forget that, you know, trans people make mistakes all of the time also. Like I have misgendered my trans spouse and we still got married. The world did not end. And so just like, I don't expect every health provider to have like memorized every gender identity out there. You don't need to be an expert on everything. You need the soft social skills that allow you to build a relationship, to have that trust. I come from a background in social work, and this is what social work is all about. It's that interpersonal layer um, that I think nurses are also great at, uh, but that other providers don't always have as much education around. And if we can build those soft skills, those interpersonal skills, that actually allows us to take leaps and steps forward like nobody's business, because it recognizes that every human has some idiosyncrasies and unique needs and that if we can learn to navigate those, it's better for us and better for our providers. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I think that, you know, you're speaking to things that it are hugely important to us. And I think that, you know, it also speaking to some of the climate that we're seeing in terms of how people are relating to folks, whether it's in healthcare or in other, you know, other realms as well. I think that, you know, we're seeing that tensions are high. We're seeing that, you know, unprecedented amounts of there's emergency departments in in small rural areas that are closing. People are feeling burnt out. But again, at, at the end of the day, it doesn't mean that you cannot be compassionate. And I think that's something that we all need to kind of get back to. How do we get back to finding that compassion for one another and just saying hey you know what I might not understand but but help me get there I think that's hugely important and it, it almost brings into the fact some of the other things that you mentioned about legislation and some conversations that have been having that that have been being had I should say so lately in the news um, both in Canada and the U.S. There's been a lot of concern surrounding legislation uh, regarding consent policies in schools. For example, the government of Saskatchewan has decided that parent consent for students under 16 will now be required to change a student's name or pronouns in school. What are your thoughts on this issue? You know, I think that we are seeing uh, the, the American playbook that is developed in Southern American states and by, you know, anti-gay, anti-reproductive health anti-social justice organizations being imported into the Canadian context. Uh, and they're learning that they can create wedges uh, through mis a combination of misinformation and tapping into people's anxieties about a gender and sexually diverse world. And so, you know, at its very core, we want parents as involved in the lives of trans kids, of their trans children, as is realistically possible. That is something everyone can get behind. A whole history of trans health and social services has been helping create bonds and rebuild relationships between trans kids and their families. So we need parents involved. On the flip side though, we know that 20 to 45% of homeless kids in this country identify as queer and trans. We know that many trans people are made homeless because they're pushed out of homes that they're no longer safe in. And so in the context of these policy changes in New Brunswick and Saskatchewan, what these governments are doing is denying kids what is often the only safe space they have available to them. If you're not comfortable, or even if you're just not sure or not ready to come out at home, school is an environment that is meant to support and respect you where you're meant to show up as your honest and authentic self. 
And so these policies are going to put kids at risk because it'll create a subtle pressure for kids to come out to their parents before they're ready. And it will deny these kids space to be themselves at school when we know that access to caring and affirming adults to enabling environments is critical in our social development and in the maintenance of our mental health. When kids have their names and pronouns respected, their well-being skyrockets. When they don't have those spaces, that is when we see statistics emerge that show high rates of suicidality and poor mental health in our vulnerable young trans people. And so that's what's worrying me here is that these premiers, they're not engaging in the health policy. They're not wrapping around supports for trans kids or even trying to help make sure that parents have access to support and education. What they're doing is they're catering to a culture war that the far right is pushing in this country. They're trying to shore up votes within fringe elements in their provinces, and they're doing it at the cost of trans kids' safety and well-being in the classroom. Yeah, go ahead, Sarah. Well, I mean, that is like really powerful stuff you just said. I think I'm learning so much. I hope that people listening are learning as well, just from your unique perspective. Um, I think that there's so much more that we can really talk about. Like, there's so much to this discussion. And I'm just thinking, you know, there is a rising level of hate, as we all have seen recently. And really, it's it's targeted towards 2S LGBTQIA plus communities. And specifically to the trans community, it's really concerning. And as racialized folks, Amy and I, we've seen rising hate towards black folks. Um, you know, there's been anti-Asian racism. I just wonder how you um, combat hateful rhetoric and how do we do this within our own communities? Yeah, so absolutely. You know, I think that there is a lot that we can do in our own communities. I, I've been joking lately about like the kitchen table conversations as one of the most integral interventions we can make. It's the act of talking with our family members, our friends, our colleagues, and helping take some of the like politicization and, and you know, the, the extremism out of these conversations. The fact of the matter is that few people have met a trans person. We've met a lot more gay people than we have trans people. And so it's easier for, you know, hate-motivated groups to construct us as these you know, as these threats to fundamental human values or healthy families. But at the end of the day, the conversation where we see the humanity in trans people, where we can help come back to those values of dignity, respect, and human rights, and where we can help show that trans people are our friends, our family, our children. They are our factory workers, our educators, our social workers, and indeed our nurses. And so to embrace the fact that there is no one story about any community, that trans people are as diverse as everybody else, and we have as many different perspectives, opinions, and experiences as the straight and cisgender world around us does. Yeah, I mean, I think that you, within just those last two um, questions that we've asked you, you've touched on so many different things. And and really, it strikes a chord with me as I have families who identify as as queer as well. And I think I think back to my my own cousin when he he didn't he was so fearful of coming out, particularly because we have a West Indian family, and there are some ideals within our own culture where we don't talk about um, gay or bisexual or trans individuals, and there's some history there. And I think about 
what you mentioned about, you know, the children and, um, and really how do we engage and have these conversations? They really should be as natural as us p- just picking up a glass of water and drinking it really. And, um, it really pains me to think that any child would feel fearful or not feel supported to be who they are, to be, to set out to do what they want to do in life and be who they, they need to be. And I think that this is where it's so important, like you said, for us to have these conversations and to make them as natural as possible because they are natural. And again, like I'm trying not to get upset because I, I think it's just so important that we do our job. Like we have roles here as nurses, as allies, as friends, as people who who recognize that there there are things within our system that are completely broken that we see that, you know, politics are being used as as a method and a means to demonize folks. And I think it is our jobs to continue the conversation and to make it a more humane one and to make it just and fair as well. So thank you so much for having this conversation with us, because I'll be honest, you are the second trans individual I've ever spoken to. You're definitely the first trans person to be on the Gritty Nurse podcast. Yes. Yeah. So lots of firsts today. Yeah, lots of firsts. Um, so congratulations to you on being the grand marshal this weekend, uh, for pride. Um, one of the questions that we really want to ask you is you've been doing so much uh, groundwork for this event. And I do want to ask you this question. Do you feel protected? And if not, how might we be able to show support in showing what protection might look like for you and how can we show support and, and solidarity? Thank you. And I, I love that question and I never know how to answer it. Um, you know, I, I would say I, I am graced and blessed with uh, a phenomenal support system around me. Uh, and because of the nightmare that was the Hershey's experience, where I had to have security guards with me for six days straight, trying to make sure that I wasn't spontaneously hate crimes after the far right painted the target on my back, uh, I have had to take some real steps to, to manage and maintain my safety. And that has been a conversation with clients that bring me on for speaking engagements and is indeed a part of my conversations with Capital Pride as we come upon uh, the parade this upcoming Sunday. Uh, but I think the biggest thing, you know, I, I have a lot of privilege in these spaces. I have that support around me. I'm a, I'm, I'm a homeowner. I'm a business owner. Like I've got a lot of things going for me there. And so the biggest thing I think all of us can do is address, again, like it's the social environment around us. And so it is exactly as y'all said, like having those conversations and helping de-radicalize people um, who might have only ever heard about a trans person on a like homophobic, transphobic Fox News segment. Uh, And I think that is the long-term game for safety because it's not, you know, I can't have bodyguards everywhere and I don't ever want that world. Uh, But I want a world where the trans person who's just coming into themselves and starting to get into these places and spaces uh, where they don't have to have that same risk of being targeted. I've had a target painted on my back because I'm a trans woman who also lives in the feminist movement and is connected uh, and passionate about women's liberation and dismantling the patriarchy. Um, And I would love for the next trans woman in these spaces uh, to not have to put up with some of that hate. So it's the long game that will solve this situation for us. Uh, but we absolutely need to make sure that we're, we're caring for the people who are putting themselves out there because I might have folks supporting me when I get targeted, but when folks are doing it on a, on a local level and they don't have a platform like I do, when they get pilloried by the far right and targeted by rebel news 
or other fascist groups in their communities, uh, they actually need those phone calls. They need the person who can reach out and say, are you doing okay? Do you need anything? Can I send you a freaking pizza? It's those things that I think keep people going because a lot of this work is underappreciated um, and it's siloed off. So we imagine like the trans people are only doing the trans thing. And at the end of the day, you know, trans liberation is interwoven with, you know, dismantling white supremacy, with dismantling ableism, with dismantling patriarchy. And if we can recognize that connection, uh, I think it allows us to be in solidarity with one another and each other in a much deeper way. Amazing. I think that is such powerful uh, a message that you have. And, you know, the whole Hershey's experience that you had and the bodyguards, I don't think people necessarily realize that's that was a fallout of the situation. And, you know, I think there are many people that don't have the privilege of having bodyguards, but it's certainly something that we need to be aware of when we when we make these, uh, you know, when we make these slanderous remarks. Um, I actually read actually today that one of the things that straight people can do is actually openly support gay pride. And I think that's something that's really important. Um, are there other things that we can do to be better allies to the community? Absolutely. I mean, showing up at pride, especially this year is, is integral because I want those like 15 year old trans kids to see their community and their city showing up, celebrating and advocating with them. But indeed, we exist year round. And often in this era, you know, governments can say all of the right things, but not follow through. And so my invitation to allies is contact your members of parliament, your city councillors, your school board trustee, and share with them that you think our institutions need to be doing more for queer and trans communities. So that is one layer of advocacy. The other thing I would really emphasize is the organizations that are there for queer and trans people, when, our when we're going through tough times, they are organizations that are by and for our communities on the local level. Here in Ottawa, that's Kind Space, the Ten Oaks Project, and, the, um, and, and Max Ottawa. But there are organizations in every part of this country, and they are the ones that, if they were resourced well, could address so many of the health inequities and the social inequities that our communities are struggling with. And so for healthcare providers, what I say is partner with those organizations, build relationships, and help them learn from what you have to offer. On an individual basis, it's donations, it's showing up, it's amplifying, and it's helping them reach the world and helping queer and trans young people know that those organizations are there to support them if they need them. Yeah, thank you so much for giving us and letting our audience know how we might be able to support it. We'll make sure that we add in all those links and drop them in in, in our um, in our show notes. And I think it's just good to know that there are tangible things that people could do because we get those questions all the time. What can we do to help better support folks? And sometimes they just don't know. So thank you for giving that perspective and showing people what we can do just to show up and show support um lastly before we wrap up is there anything that you know uh we haven't touched on that you'd like to add to this conversation today i would just emphasize you know i've, I've been doing this work for 10 years and i in my world i have been able to chat again with like queer and trans people across the country and never in my life have i seen the degree of fear and worry on the eyes of queer and trans people across the age spectrum as I am seeing today. I have heard from elders who are saying that this environment is reminiscent of the 90s for queer and trans people. 
And so my invitation is that this isn't business as usual. And we need to, you know, for the first time in my adult memory, we're seeing governments regress in Canada on career and trans issues. Eight in 10 Americans are, in, are queer Americans. Eight in 10 queer Americans are worried about their safety as homophobia and transphobia grips the United States, especially the Southern states. My invitation is uh, we need everyone to tap into this fight like never before, just like we did to get marriage equality in this country. Because if we don't do that, if we do not step up, the next generation of queer and trans kids who deserve to grow up free and supported, they will go through what our elders did. And our elders went through enough and no generation deserves the shame and stigma that my elders were forced, had forced upon them. So fight like hell for the living and remember those we've lost. That is so amazing. And I think that's, that's important. And that's the work that we have to do and that we're going to do as well. And thank you so much for coming on the Greeners podcast. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of great takeaways our guests will have, or our listeners will have in hearing your story. And I think that at the end of the day, we do have a lot of work to do, whether it's social media, whether it's through politics, whether it's just through having conversations with our, our, our friends and family around the table. But I think that, you know, we're in this together. I, I, I'm saying to you right now, we're in this together and we will be an ally and we will do the work and get the work done for, like you said, not just for those who we've lost, but for the living as well. Thank you so much. It's been a blast and I, I've loved this conversation. And thank you for doing what y'all are doing, getting, like bringing these conversations before because we need it now more than ever. Thank you. Thank you so much, Faye. We will drop notes on um, how people can support you, how they can find uh, Wisdom to Action and all of that great stuff. Yeah. What are your handles? Tell us your social media handles. <laughs> so on Twitter or X or whatever the hell we're calling yeah. it now, <laughs> yeah. uh, Who it's knows, literally right? just my name. So at Faye Johnstone. Uh, my Instagram is a little bit more fun. It's at Fading Away uh, because I I'm love Faye it. and I'm Fading Away. Uh, and then <laughs> Momentum is just Queer Momentum on Twitter and Queer.Momentum on Instagram. And those are all of the places you can go to follow along with my work and amplify our advocacy as we meet this moment. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.